When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Base boys, bitch boys. Base boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. The binge boys are back in town. That's right. Uh, Hal Rudnick, Juan Harris across from me. Uh, he's he's wearing the cans. Juan, uh, how? Apologies it, to Thin Lizzy. The 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 binge boys are back in town. Do we? I don't think yes. we own the copyright to that. No, we don't. That's I why I did we're not. Gonna get, uh, we're gonna get fucking sued. I did not sing it. I did. I I I I think I, yeah. I think we're safe. That's I think Thin Lizzy, safe. right? I was gonna uh, look boy- it up. And then it's hard for me to. Re- I, my original. I think I was it's Lizzie. The boys are back in town. Yeah, I was going to say BTO, but no, that's taking care of business. Taking care of business. Yeah. Right. Every Thin way. Lizzie. Working yeah. overtime. Uh, no, go to the part that says working overtime. That's the only way I know that Bachman Turner Overdrive is the guys who do taking care of business because of the the Simpsons. Oh where yeah. They're watching Bagatura Overdrive, and, and Homer is yelling, like, do take care of business. And then when they're playing it, he's like, no, just go to the park where it says work in overtime. <laughs> you know, everything comes back to The Simpsons. They predicted all everything. My, all my pop they, culture knowledge comes back to The Simpsons. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's it's funny that we're kind of got on this classic rock, Jag, because you and I were just talking about classic rock right before we started yeah, recording the, the a little. legendary uh, David Crosby has, has, uh, has left us. Yes. Yeah, uh, R.I.P. to the Cros. You know, you, you've got a little bit of David Crosby style your own self. You've got the long hair. You've got the mustache That's beard. That's true. He's got that whole song, Almost Cut My Hair, I think it's called. And yeah, like he, <laughs> he was really one of those guys that was rhapsodizing the like long hair hippie style. Get a goddamn uh, haircut, yeah. you hippie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, um, but yeah, I, I, this was really just like I, the pandemic, and I was like, ah, I'm just gonna stick with it. It's a good look for me. Here's a creepy little story that's Crosby, Stills, and Nash related. You have a creepy CSNY story. Yeah, well, yeah, I mean, you'll hear why. So when I was in high school, um, forever a virgin in high school, I uh, poor Al, Jeez, I know. I did. Uh, in, in college, in, in college, the tide turned you, for you, me. You worked it out. Okay. Yeah, I worked things out, but. Um, there was, I was listening to these, I guess, cool kids talk. And one kid was talking about, I'm not going to reveal the names. So I'll keep them a secret, but was talking about how he had sex with this girl. And he said, wooden ships by Crosby, Stills and Nash was playing mm. while yeah. they were having sex. And 
I'll never, for, I will always associate that song with this kid from my high Weird. school talking about having, I know, I, you what can't What a peculiar, help. a peculiar choice for, on a number level, because it's not really, it's, I don't feel like that's really like a classic rock radio cut you'd hear all the time. Wouldn't yeah, I mean, ships? it's a jam, wouldn't I mean, I know it's not a not, I like that do, song. Do, do. I, but is that is that one of the like that was on KLOS or I don't know what your classic rock station was ninety five five KLOS Oh yeah, and uh, growing up in Jersey, it was out of New York. It was ninety five five WPLJ. Right. So that yeah, that was our classic rock. Ninety five five was our classic rock station as well. Uh, and and I don't think I would hear Wooden Ships. I think if you were going to hear Crosby, Stills, that maybe Sweet Judy Blue Eyes, Southern uh, Man. So, well, that's that's Neil Young, sir. Oh, oops, oopsies. How I dare bet. you? Uh, yeah, but like, or helplessly uh, hoping uh, that 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 would be a big CSN one you might hear. But I don't, I'm, I'm, I don't know if you'd hear Wooden Ships. Correct me if I'm wrong. Right into the show, if you feel like Wooden Ships was a big Crosby, Stills and Nash single, <laughs> such that you'd hear it a lot on classic rock radio. I could sound be wrong. off, Patriots. Uh, yeah. You know what? Teach uh, your children. Like that's the radio. Oh yeah, teach cut, your children. Right? Oh yeah. Totally classic, but yeah, uh, we're, total and, uh, classic. And we we're so just anyway, talking about losing. The, uh, yeah. we're, we're losing the legends. See them while they're still yeah. around. Well, that's. I was talking to my brother about this today. That like we're we we just lost Jeff Beck uh, like last week. Uh, legendary uh, English guitarist Jeff Beck. Uh, I remember Jeff Beck from the classic Wade's World Two monologue. Uh, so just then. Jeff Beck pops his head round the corner and says, there's a little sweet shop on the edge of town. So we go. That part. That Ralph, uh, what, oh, I forget. The, Ralph Brown. Uh, actor Ralph Brown's great monologue that he's riffing on his character from With Nail and I in Wayne's World 2. He mentions Jeff Beck. That was where I first heard the name. But anyway, gotcha. legendary English guitarist Jeff Beck has, has died last week, then David Crosby today, and it was really making me think like, that whole, the last of that generation of classic rock gods and legends and icons, they're all getting pretty old. You know, McCartney and, and Ringo, Pink Nick and Keith. Pink. Who, Pink, the, the singer-songwriter Pink, is that yeah. what you're talking about? I don't really think of her as like that first generation of, you know, like, not first generation, but like that generation, like, I mean, more like Bob Dylan, uh, the guy Paul from Simon. Korn, the guy from Corn. Sure, jo uh, are you talking about Jonathan Davis from Corn? Yeah, Korn? from 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 Corn. I mean, I'm a little upset that you don't know the name of the guy. Now I'm going to look it up. It's Jonathan Davis. Before I yell at you, it is Jonathan Davis. How dare you not know Jonathan Davis? Report. What about the guy in the mask from Slipknot? I don't know his name. I don't know his. <laughs> name. You know, I'm talking here. I'm talking about guys like Mike Shinoda, like Lincoln Parks, Mike Shinoda. Yes. The old, old school, the original Hal. That's what I'm talking about. You know what? We must protect BTS at all costs. <laughs> yeah, I'm talking about. I'm just sassing uh, you. You know, head. Uh, Paul McCartney played Dodger Stadium not too long ago, and I was kicking myself for not getting tickets because I don't want it to turn into. I mean, obviously, you know, Prince died uh, prematurely. He was uh, too young. Uh, but he he played twenty five dates at the. Did you forum did you not get a chance Inglewood, to see any of those? And I, I didn't went. Go. I went to one of those shows. I I'm went a, to one of those shows. I'm a dipshit. I'm. It was it. amazing seeing Prince live. You 
as much as you can intellectually understand how many hits Prince had, mm-hmm. when you would go see him, it he wants to play all the big songs, but like it's a three hour show and there's still no time. So he plays these medleys of like three or four. He jam, he has to jam the hits together Damn. so that you can hear them all. So you, he'll, he'll open with Let's Go Crazy and it's like, let's go crazy into Delirious into Raspberry Beret. Then, like, you don't even notice Sheena E's doing a drum solo. He's taken off. He's, like, left the stage halfway through the song. And then he'll, like, come back and do, like, a guitar solo and then into Little Red Corvette. It's fucking bananas. Like, I've never seen... I've seen high-energy concerts before. But nothing like this. It was a crazy spectacle. One more thing for me to regret... Yeah, well, wow. I, uh, I I ended up seeing, uh, yeah, I ended up seeing a few. I saw Bowie as well. Uh, oh, I did get to tour. see Bowie. I did get to see Bowie. Yeah. I was Anna, disappointed. Oh. You know, this seems like sad. I know. But get he, out of here. The man he, is dead. You can't be disappointed now. You're not allowed. Listen, uh, I, I kneel at his altar. I genuflect in front of his his image. But I when I was at... Uh, I saw uh, Nine Inch Nails open for David Bowie in the mm. late night in the mid mid nineties, mm. and he was Bowie was mainly playing new stuff, and he barely busted out classics. Oh, so, that was very different. I saw I saw the reality tour. I think it was called Early Aughts okay. uh, at Arrowhead Pond here in uh, in Anaheim, uh, where the Mighty Ducks play, of course. Oh, sure, and. Uh, and it was a real, I mean, he definitely played a lot of the 90s stuff. He did a cover of uh, the Pixies Cactus, which is on one of those 90s albums, which was really good. But he also mixed in, we definitely heard Life on Mars. He did fashion. He did fame. Uh, you know, like there, there was a, a Rebel Rebel. It was a good, a good mix. I think Sound and Vision was in there. Uh, so yeah, it was a good mix of stuff from different eras. I would have felt a little a little cheated if I hadn't gotten any classics. I got a couple, but it was like man. you want to hear Quicksand or something if you're seeing Bowie live. But um, but it yeah. was a great that was a great show too. And then I saw Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young at Staples Center in 2002. How man? With you're my you're dad. fitting them all in. You're fitting them all in. Well, there was an era where if you were a big fan of like my dad raised us on that era music, so I. Grew up listening to all that stuff. Mm-hmm. And there was a time in like the 90s and the early aughts where all of these acts were coming around doing these big shows. You know, they were still young enough to like make do a show, you know? So oh, like yeah. I saw Roger Waters at Staples Center. And like there were a lot of those kinds of a lot of those kinds of, of shows going around. I think there was one where I saw like Dylan and Van Morrison, and, you know. I've seen uh, Dylan a whole bunch of times. Oh, I did get to see before he uh, before he left the Mortal Coil, Don Rickles. I did get mm. to see Don Rickles perform. I saw not I saw singing Carlin. I saw Carlin do stand up a few times. Oh wow! Very Speaking nice. Speaking of, of great, late, great, and Mitch Hedberg, of course. That's the that's oh, my real claim to fame. Is man, that, yeah. I saw two. two there. I went to the Largo once and saw Mitch Hedberg, and then at the Irvine Improv, John and I drove down to Orange County and saw Mitch Hedberg. Once. Wow. What what was that? Nineties uh, or two thousands? When did he pass? <sighs> must have been. I mean, it must have been late nineties. Yeah. I, I feel like I was like in college. Maybe I had just graduated college, but Mitch has been gone for a long time at this point. Let me look it up. Uh, yeah, Mitch left us in 2005. So this might have been oh, some wow. between like 99 and 03 or something would have been when I, the last time I saw him too, he was he was already starting to like fade, you know? Like you could tell that the drugs were taking their toll. Damn. 
Uh, this right, has easy. been Lon and Hal reminisce, reminisce about over music. The dead. Uh, yeah. Talk about uh, the the fragile, uh, the fragility of life. Yeah, I mean, if you're a comedy fan, this is just part of it. Like so many comedians I've loved and been a huge fan of and met and like, well, so many of them are gone. I mean, mm -hmm. it's just, they don't, they don't last. But, you know, your, your fave is still with us. Mr. Bill Cosby. Oh, okay. I couldn't tell which way we were going with it. Yeah. yeah. I thought maybe I thought maybe we were going with Louie. <laughs> <laughs> Could have been one of the one of those. One yes, of those. yes. One one of the the uh, I do love that Joe Rogan as well. You know me, Hal. That's where I get all my medical information from the Absolutely. Joe Rogan uh Ivermectin yeah. and it's made you the podcaster yeah. you are today. So Lon, yes. uh this uh, mm. this like fills a nice little uh bit of time in, in lieu of the news. But <laughs> no, also- Well, that's what our show is all about, folks. Filling killing time. time. Fill that time. Uh, but also, you and I, this this is a mega-sode. A, the mega-sode. Because usually we talk about three things that we watched. This week, Lon, we have watched five things. Five Correct. things that that's, we're going to talk about. That's why I didn't bother rounding up any news. It's not just because I don't care, although I don't. It's because we watched five things, and so that we got plenty to talk about. We don't need news. We watched five things. Oh, and you know what I realized when I was just making a couple of notes before? Four of them are from Netflix. We should be on the oh, payroll. Man. Yeah, geez, that's too much. Yeah. Reed uh, Hastings, did you see that? That's news. Reed Hastings, co-CEO of Netflix. Uh, he's going to retire. He's going to retain his executive chairman title. But gotcha. he's no longer gonna gonna run Netflix with Ted Sarandos. They're gonna he's gonna he's gonna step down. It's sending shockwaves through the entire industry. Yeah, you know, not really. Not he'll really. he'll be missed, I guess. Maybe sure. Um, not by around, me. I don't know him. You know, at the yeah, around the office, they'll miss his his they'll, bright yeah, smile. He's like a ray of sunshine. Yeah. All right, Lon. Let's let's jump into talking about some programs. So we got four things from Netflix. And we've got one from Peacock. Let's go down the Peacock uh, road here first. Yeah, all right. We uh, we watched a new uh, reality uh, true crime hybrid. I would say. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's it, like it, it's it's really it's really like a prank show. I think that's what like uh, people are describing of. it as like this scripted reality hybrid, whatever. I don't think that really captures the it. The show is called. Paul T. Goldman. Paul right. T. It's, it's Goldman. A, it's about is, making fun of this man. That's what the show is about. It's the show's not about anything else. Yes, it's a, essentially, uh, you know, he, the titular uh, character, Paul it's T. Goldman, he's a role. real dude. He's a real dude who has spent his, his adult years on a combination of real and fictional adventures that he both writes about and the the lines of where is the truth, where is the fiction really starts to blur. And he he wrote several books based on how he got duped by his second wife. He feels like he got duped by right. his second wife. So he, he wrote yeah, a series he of books. these books about re relating this story, but then the, the, the he, he gets in touch with Jason Walliner, a guy who worked on... Borat 2, a guy who works with Nathan Fielder. So yes. somehow these two people, like the, the the match made in heaven, these two people came together. And so, yeah, they're, they're making a show and it's both 
relating this guy's story with himself in the lead role as a scripted series, but really it's about, you're also getting the behind the scenes footage of them making the show with this crazy person as he relates his own life story. And by episode two and three, it becomes clear that he's deranged and the show becomes about needling him to get the truth out of him, to break through this facade that he's built up. He really reminds me a lot of a real-life uh, Michael Scott. Yes. Like, it feels like what Steve Carell's playing from The Office, that, like, he's self-deluded, and he's but he's just terrible at covering for it, and he plays like everything is a joke to cover for these deep, obvious insecurities and failures. Yeah, and he is insecure and he is a goofball. He, I, you know, you, you don't like to cast judgment. Let ye without Whoa. sin. But this guy, uh, I mean, he's a schmuck. He's like, uh, to right. quote, to quote uh, Goodfellas, uh, he's a schmuck on wheels. <laughs> this you guy. and I spoke after I had just started watching it, like the first episode. And I was like, you know, I kind of feel bad for this guy. This whole show is obviously geared around pointing out what a delusional weirdo he is. And how he's kind of a creep and how he's he's misjudged all these things and he's misunderstood the intention of even the people making this show about him. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, and I sort of feel bad because I don't know. I was comparing it to Windy City Heat, which was an old Comedy Central yeah. movie that Jimmy Kimmel and Adam Carolla made, where it's another prank kind of thing where they they trick this idiot who's a comedian and a, and a, a wannabe actor in L.A., Perry Caravello. And they, they tricked him into thinking they had cast him in a big movie, in an action movie that he was going to star in. But really, it's about filming him and they fuck with him while he's making this movie and they, they try to make him look as ridiculous as possible. And in Windy City Heat, it's funny because Perry Caravello is a piece of shit. He's like a terrible guy. He's obviously just in this for the fame. He doesn't really care about acting. He's not talented at all. Yeah. He's self-deluded, megalomaniacal arrogant, stupid, like every, every flaw, he's terrible and he keeps reminding you how bad he is. So it's funny when they mess with him. And this guy, I didn't necessarily get that vibe off of him in episode one. I was more like, he's more of just a pitiful character. But by episode two, three, sure enough, like it, it turns and he does become pretty despicable and it does become funny to make fun of. Yeah, I wouldn't say he doesn't, he's not, he's still a little sympathetic because he's such a schnook and he doesn't realize the, he's like very the gullible. Yeah, he's very, he's also, he's, not he's only is he very gullible, a, there's also a duplicity in like what he does in as much as he talks um, about having th these altruistic motives. He wants to save people. He uh, wants to save Good. women. Okay, and, But then in the next breath, he will completely objectify women. Yeah. He will say disgusting things. Exactly. Uh, he will dehumanize <laughs> and objectify mm. women uh, throughout yeah. and just talk, to, like he will build himself up and then talk shit about innocent human beings uh, in a way that is really, lacks awareness and it's off-putting. There's one brilliant moment where, and I don't want to give away too much, but He's trying to do, did you see the episode where he's trying to do some public speaking? And then yes. the first question that's the whole asked thing. of him. I've seen the whole thing. Yeah, I've, until, yeah, I've seen yeah. all five episodes. Uh, right. so I think there's going to be a, season. episode six is the finale, right? Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so 
yeah, this woman in a great moment uh, points out that he, so he was giving an anti-human trafficking speech, which really almost, it was just self-aggrandizing. And this woman points out that something he did crosses a, a certain line when it comes to human trafficking, and he just puts him in this moral conundrum. Uh, yeah, he lacks so much awareness. So it's kind of like, oh, you, you dunce. <laughs> That's all. You, yeah, you know. I think it's beyond being a dunce. Episode one is like, you're a gullible idiot. You're a stupid person. But by episode three, it's like. Oh no, he's a he's a disgraceful misogynist, a liar, yeah. and and uh, and and yeah, and, and somebody who is misrepresenting himself and his intentions from the very beginning in a very intentional way. That he thinks he's he just he thinks he's a lot more clever than he is, and he thinks he's sort of covering and he's putting this persona out there in front of this like gregarious, well-intentioned guy. But the fact that he's too dumb to pull off the the lie manipulation that he thinks he is doesn't forgive him like yeah. he's he's trying to manipulate people he's just he's just Absolutely. too awkward to do it oh he called his website isn't his website like um save save children from human trafficking.org yeah, no. and a, then there was nothing there about he's a disgraceful human being and that's why the show becomes very funny and satisfying because it's fun to see everybody mess with this guy that is a piece of shit who deserves it. That's the, that's the whole thing. It is a true hybrid of a show because there are pieces of this mystery that you are waiting to see kind of unravel about who he right. is and what actually happened. So it does have the true crime element. But like you said, Jason Wolner, who has worked with um, some of our, like not just uh, like great comedians throughout, uh, you know, comedy, but, he has done so much reality-based stuff with Sasha Baron Cohen, with Nathan Fielder. This, so this very format, it's funny, it scratches a true crime itch, and it's weird. And they for the recreations, he this doofus is the only, like, he plays himself, but everyone else, they bring in Dennis Haysbert. Frank yeah. Grillo, like yeah, it's great. legit. James Remar, James Remar yes. is like the internal affairs detective. It's so good. It's so good. It, I was just tickled to see some of these people show up. Yeah, W.O. Like, Brown too, the great character actor is the the pimp Royce Rocco, the yep, pimp. Yep, yeah. oh yeah, very recognizable. Oh yeah, and every, then, all the supporting players are like well-known TV actors. I even even the the wife is uh, she's from Seinfeld and like you know like the, uh -huh. the woman who's playing Olivia Debeau if you remember her she was yeah. like uh, a '90s actress. Uh, it's really it's really clever. It's very entertaining and it's so fast. I mean, they're like six half hour episodes. I think only five were up so far, so you could you could fly through it. Yeah, uh, Paul T. Goldman, absolutely worth checking out. It goes into some. Um, fascinating places that you don't expect like uh it, it worth the watch uh it is available on peacock if you are so inclined all right let's jump into some stuff from netflix lon yeah christian bale was the uh star is the star of the pale blue eye well netflix. harry melling i would say also co-star and uh harry melling harry Mel henry melling harry melling i think it's harry yeah, Harry Melling. I was right. I Harry Melling. Dudley Dursley. 
This is a historical mystery. Now, is this based on a true story, Lon? This is something no, else. this is based on a novel. A guy, Louis Bayard, I believe, is the novelist. He wrote, it's a, now, Edgar Allan Poe really was a cadet at West Point at this moment in history. Right. And so the context around this story is real. But no, this particular series of events did not actually happen. Gotcha. So a murder occurs at West Point and the body is tampered with. The uh, powers that be at West Point bring in Christian Bale, who is a noted detective uh, around those parts at the time, uh, to investigate. And it turns out a young Edgar Allan Poe, pre-Raven, uh, Free, uh, well, he, he was yeah. writing poetry, but he was not he was not famous for writing yet. He, he was studying to be a military officer. Exactly. Um, they, they begin partnering up on deciphering who is to blame for it's these sort of, deaths. Right. Sort and, of like a whodunit. You know, they're like eliminating suspects and, out of people who are at West Point at this point historical moment. And Harry Mulling, he's really great as Edgar Allan Poe, and it becomes a kind of a delightful buddy comedy with a good comedy. mystery. It's not a comedy. Or not, you know. It's very serious. It's, I, there are hardly any jokes. <laughs> there are real moments of levity watching uh, the Edgar Allan Poe character um, sure. just uh, wax poetic in certain situations. I, it's not a buddy comedy, but it's a historical th uh, thriller. Um, Christian Bale and Harry Mulling are a Man. really good combo. I found this to be two thirds to three quarters of a very good whodunit. And I felt it kind of phoned it in for the ending. I thought there was the climax yeah. uh, was anticlimactic. And hey. it kind of and it, and it kind of uh, petered to a stop. I was really disappointed that we did because it set up so much. There was devil worship. There was the occult. And man, I was like, oh, we are going to go down this rabbit hole and find some insidious people here. But the answers were kind of sitting there in front of our face. There was nothing that surprising. And again, there's this one huge climactic set piece where I was just like, oh, OK. And then there's another reveal, like there's a series of things uh, that just did not serve what was a tense, well acted, well cast, a lot of great character actors, period piece uh, looking into some grisly murders. Uh, yeah, it, it, it looks great. The cinematography is great. It really evokes this sort of early 19th century uh, Hudson Valley, very gothic. Like, I loved all the designs and the costumes and the sets and all that's amazing. Scott Cooper does an incredible job. He's the director. He also did Out of the Furnace and Antlers. Uh, he's done a bunch of stuff, Hostels with Christian Bale, which also looks amazing. Um, mm -hmm. I don't, yeah, I don't feel like story-wise it, it quite kept up with the visuals. I was way more into looking at it. And I liked Harry Melling as Poe a lot, but it just, the, the, I didn't really find the mystery that involving. And it really was, and I, I'm not even, I don't say this a lot. I'm not the, like, I guessed the answer to the mystery right away guy. Mm -hmm. Like that's not even a thing I'm necessarily trying to do. 
But I honestly think that the solution in this case is, and I won't say, I'm not going to spoil anything. But yeah. I honestly think the solution to the mystery here is one of the first things you would you would think of. It was one of the first possible solutions that I thought of when the mystery is kind of first laid out. Like, who could be responsible for X and Y? It's like, well, there's really only a handful of people it could be. And I feel like the most obvious or one of the most obvious things that a mystery whodunit would do is what they end up doing. And it's just really not that not that interesting or, or clever. And I did expect something that had had a little bit more oomph, a little, little bit more to it at the end. But, you know, uh, I think it, in some ways I almost feel like, well, good enough. Like a movie that looks this great, that keeps my attention, that has some good performances. Like I, who am I to say? Like maybe you won't guess the mystery, you know? Yeah, uh, it, it's it's worth it for, uh, yeah, just as you were saying, the performances, uh, and I really was enjoying it. I got a little mad at the movie for not uh, for, for not wrapping up its affairs a little bit better by the end. Uh, and uh, but yeah, it's I don't regret watching it. I'm not sitting here saying, hey, I'll never get those two hours of my life back. I'm fine that I gave my two hours Plus, you weren't doing anything else with it. I wasn't doing anything. I had nothing better to do. Yeah, come on. The pale blue eye, some great performances, uh, and uh, the ending could be slightly better. Uh, You can check it out on Netflix. Lon, also on Netflix. A director who I'm really just digging one thing after another that he puts his name on. Copenhagen Cowboy comes to us from the mind of NWR, as he uh, calls himself at the top of the show, Nicholas Winding Refn. You know him from Drive and Too Old to Die Young, a really cool series from Amazon a couple of years back. Uh, Copenhagen Cowboy is available on Netflix. I'm about three episodes in. This is his big return to Denmark after the breakthrough crime drama pusher films that that's what made him that's what made his bones to begin with gotcha gotcha he did those films and then he did bronson with tom hardy which sort of established tom hardy as a a force to be reckoned with right about uh infamous british criminal charlie bronson Mm -hmm. uh and then drive like that was what led to to the big mainstream uh breakthrough drive yeah we were talking about it earlier i haven't seen only god forgives but i did like his other film with l fanning uh neon demon Demon. Demon. only god forgives was that's really i think the one that has the most kind of dna in common with copenhagen cowboy in some ways it's like that was when post drive he went way deep into the like protagonist who barely speaks, nightclubs, neon, synth music on the soundtrack, long takes, droning kind of like repetitive stuff, but like then intercut with like brutal violence. Like that's, Only God Forgives kind of honed this style that I think he's now still experimenting with and perfecting slowly. This one is almost like, it's like that, but kind of with like dream logic, fairy tale logic yes. to it almost. Like it, it's really going off into kind of like, I feel like it's always like how Wes Anderson, starting with Moonrise Kingdom, it's like his movies are, they're no longer even set in like our reality. They're like yeah, set in I hear 
Wes Anderson's reality, and he gets he, 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 each movie gets like deeper and deeper into that now. And so like French Dispatch is happening in this like cartoon Jacques Tati imaginary France. Yes, and like it feels like the same thing is happening with with reference films. Like like this is not any sort of real practical Copenhagen. I mean, he shot it there, I'm presuming, but like I've never been there. Would love to go, but like. Uh, mm-hmm. This is it, it's every character you meet, every new location you go to, every scenario you're in has its kind of own weird internal logic that doesn't necessarily link up to our world. Yeah, this is definitely different from uh, his other fairly recent TV series, uh, Too Old to Die Young. But uh, there's a lot of the same DNA in both. You're, you're exploring the seamier side, the darker side, the underbelly of life. And additionally, um, Nicholas Winding Refn, he's an auteur, and he takes that auteur card to the nth degree in as much as he is very self-indulgent. Uh, but I will say, if you're a fan, you're like, Go there. Give me more of your particular brand of self-indulgence. I mean, I think in this way, it's a little bit, and I don't, I know everybody compares everything to David Lynch, but like, uh, there is in that same way, like I, there's no way to do it in a way that's compromised. Like it is what it is. And you either take it at face value and accept that this is what it is and, and get into its own particular rhythm or you don't like, there's no kind of half measure here. It's very much, you know, like he's in this one too, he's doing new stuff that I don't recognize from any of his other things. It's still the same. It's like silent protagonist, a ton, ton of synth on the soundtrack, almost no dialogue. Uh, you know, these long takes, yes, neon, everything is drenched lingering, in neon. Bizarre lingering camera work. Right. That and, is, but right, that, in this that one, is he's very, doing like 360 camera stuff. Like he started doing this, like mm-hmm. where the camera's just like spinning around slowly in 360 through the whole scene. And it's very strange. And at first it is like, it's off-putting because you're not getting the information you're used to getting during a scene, like where everybody is in relation to each other and like, you're you're not used to moving through a scene that way, but after a while, when you get into the the weird change of perspective, it is it's very cool, and you realize how carefully everything has to be paced so that the camera's in the right place to pick up what's happening at crucial moments. Yeah, it's very intricate. Like, all right, he's amazing. He's yeah. I find it to be beautiful. Like like you were talking about just. You know, like neon and wet streets and the yeah. the glare coming off. It's funny that you mentioned David Lynch. There, are, I wrote down three directors that his stuff, like I see little bits and pieces. Um, Michael Mann, just as far as like the beauty of some of the cinematography. Brian De Palma, because uh, like a lot of dark seediness and Brian De Palma has a distinct style. And then also Lynch. De Palma makes sense too, because it's that it's that pulpy B movie. Like they're yes. both fascinated by, you know, like gangster movies and crime movies and seedy totally. exploitation movies. And that's like what so much of like the De Palma stuff he's making, like, you know, he's using elevated Hitchcock de- techniques to make like Cinemax level erotic thrillers. And I feel like, that's yeah. something that's very much like Winding Refn's vibe as well. Like Absolutely. He, yeah. It's explicitly De Palma. At, like I feel like he would tell you he's doing De Palma stuff. Absolutely. Sure. Yeah. And a lot of a lot of filmmakers just like really uh worship De Palma's style stylistically. He, he did a lot of good stuff. I met Brian De Palma. 
I interviewed him for that movie Snake Eyes, that Nicolas Cage. Movie. Oh, I remember Snake Eyes. Yeah, the Atlantic City crazy. Uh, it's got that caper. crazy opening tracking shot that's like ten minutes long or whatever. Yep, with Nicolas yep. Cage going through the casino. For sure. Uh, so, just a thumbnail on Copenhagen Cowboy: a a magic being who is supposedly has capabilities to bring luck is essentially bought by these Albanian gangsters who are living in Copenhagen, running a brothel. And there's a murderer, a serial killer of women running around. And all of these disparate stories start to come to a head. Uh, Again, I'm three or four episodes in. Lon, how many episodes is it? Uh, I believe it is six episodes total. Six episodes total. Yeah, six like hour long episodes. Uh, and it's very like limited series. Like I don't think it's gonna come back for more. Like I think, and it, it yeah, it, it's, you'll see like it, it has an episodic sort of nature. Like we're following Mew, who's this character who's, she's got some sort of intangible, she's a witch, she's a demon. She's some kind of mystical creature that is able to, has a very various powers, including is imbued with sort of luck. Uh, She's kind of traveling through various levels of the Copenhagen underworld and meeting all of these different gangsters and factions and criminals and and kind of choosing sides, but in a lackadaisical way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and and yeah, so we we kind of just explore this whole weird world, and which is like a lot of a little bit of too old to die young as well, where. Like yeah. we're kind of following a character through various sort of levels and we get kind of a flavor of everything, but without getting too distracted by any one narrative thread. Like all of these characters, it's always an ensemble and it's always like there's a ton of stuff going on behind every closed door. Yeah. And we're only getting this one narrow perspective. And uh, Which is also Lynch. I mean, that's what like Twin Peaks The Return was very much like, where Evil Cooper is involved in this, like, yes. you know, arm wrestling, you know, war with these gangsters in one episode. But that's not central to the story. That's just part of the background of Twin Peaks The World or like the the gambling brothers or, you know, like the Belush, Belushi and the, the, the brothers or, you know, like. It's a huge world. Tim Roth and Jennifer Jason Lee in the van. It's a huge world, and we're just getting these little snippets of it. And it's subtitled, uh, I guess it's, uh, what is it, in Danish? Danish, uh, it's, baby. It's in Danish, baby. But yeah, I would describe it. It's a beautiful mindfuck uh, that uh, traverses the underbelly of uh, Copenhagen. Uh, a- absolutely worth checking out. But it is a very particular flavor. I could definitely see people being like, Okay, uh, I'm halfway through the first episode. Fuck this. <laughs> but I, I find- I've never seen anything N- NWR post-drive. It's like that. If yeah, you don't you'll, like you'll, that, stop, you know? There you go. I think uh, simple enough. Copenhagen yeah. Cowboy, available right now. The whole thing is there to watch on Netflix. Also on Netflix. I said we had a lot of Netflix today. You did. The Hatchet-Wielding Hitchhiker is a documentary- about Just a another recent one of these true crime pieces of shit things, you know. Tell us like, how hey, you really remember, feel, Lon. Hey, remember this guy did a crime? Remember him? He went viral. Remember? Yeah, viral. Here's a graphic of a bunch of thumbs ups so that you understand the concept of going viral. Oh, he got RTs. Yeah. He killed a guy. And then he killed a guy. The end. I feel like this is a running theme for us of mm-hmm. like, 
was this enough for a documentary? Like, before you made yeah, your... Uh, we, you and I had a good conversation um, well, about Sasquatch this. Sasquatch on Hulu was the, the prompt for Sasquatch, this. Sasquatch and then also um, the, uh, the the murder at the hotel in downtown right. LA. And then Bob Ross. I think the Bob Ross one too. Yeah. I, listen, before you put your documentary on a streaming service, I want you to take a good look at the documentarian in the mirror. <laughs> and I want you to ask that guy or gal, I want you to ask them one one question. Yeah. Is this, is this enough? Is this enough for a documentary? Because I feel like a lot of these documentaries, you're not honestly answering that person yes. Is there is enough short- there there? Is there enough there there? Am I making a documentary short that's posing as a feature length documentary? Because if you are, we're, we're going to have, we're going to, you're going to hear from the binge boys. That's what I'm putting out there in the world. We're coming for you. Because let me tell you, we're going to be the vigilantes. Yeah, because let, let me let me tell you, the the Kai, uh, the hatchet wielding hitchhiker saga. Yes. Quote unquote. And I'm using sarcasm quotes here. Uh, not 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 90 minutes of story. This was 90 minutes. It could have been 30 minutes. Not. Oh, 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 30. No, 20. This 12 <laughs> at, at max. There is 12 minutes of of pertinent, worthwhile information. I'm not saying none. I'm not saying none. I learned a few tidbits of information about Kai, the hatchet-wielding hitchhiker. It's not zero. It's not even a fifth of 90 minutes. Yeah, there there are a couple of frustrating things here. First off, they, they spun their wheels for so long trying to kill time before yeah, got you got nothing. to the murder. Like they got I was nothing. Like honestly, <laughs> like the Jimmy Kimmel stuff was interesting. Like the it's uh, not. It's not that interesting. Like, yeah, he was a for a moment drunk like weirdo. The, the got moment. It. Got the it. moment was interesting, but you get it pretty quick, and then it keeps telling the same story about. Uh, these documentary uh, TV or these reality and, TV producers trying to wrangle him. And it's like, and the thing is, okay. Until the very last moments of this movie, it's not, it's, it's, they don't even, it's unexamined. Like all of these people are blatantly on camera telling them like, yeah, I was looking to exploit this guy. And yep. I thought it was good footage. It was going to make my career better. And then at the very, very end, they're like, well, maybe we did a crummy thing, you know? Like, maybe we elevated somebody we shouldn't over. Like, maybe we were only thinking about ourselves and not really about Kai. And it's like, yeah, what do you think, fucking assholes? Like, made me wait 88 minutes to get to your revelation? Like, that's what the movie's really about. But we don't talk about that until the very end. They pretend it's like this salacious, we're going to tell you what really happened. Like, they don't know what really happened, why this guy got murdered, like, yeah. we still don't. They don't know. Nobody really knows. Kai's not going to tell us. Yeah, th- th- there, was, there wasn't complete clarity on his childhood, on the murder, even though they had s- so much access. They had his mother. They had uh, family members to right. talk to. Right, they present him saying, I was abused terribly as a child. And then they've got his mom saying, no, he wasn't. And like, well. Good night, yeah. folks. Like, that's it. And then they, it's like, oh, well, if you don't have any answers and you don't learn anything, is there a movie here? It gets stuck in the quagmire repeating the same beat for the, like, a huge middle chunk until you get to the murder. And then yeah. you don't even get enough clarity on the murder. 
all of these movies that are about like, hey, this viral thing happened and we're going to give you the whole backstory or whatever, it, it, it always, and I mean, even the Ruth Bader Ginsburg documentary became this, where it was like, mm. and then she went viral and she was on t-shirts and everything was trending. It's like, we know what trending is. You don't need to make a section of your movie that's about this topic trending because that's always the same story. At first, nobody knew about it, and then it hit the internet, and all of a sudden, everyone was talking about it. That's it. That's the whole stuff. We don't. That's the same in everybody's story. That's why we're watching a documentary about it. And every one of these movies, you get these fucking fifteen-minute segments where it's like, and we even know, like, I even know the B-roll you're gonna see. People tweeting things on their phones, a person's, the mm -hmm. reflection in someone's glasses of looking at a computer monitor, uh, um, uh, you know, a collage of all of the viral tweets popping up and covering one another, thumbs up montages and, you know, like images that look like Snapchat or Instagram of people hitting the like button. And yeah. it's just like, go fuck yourself. It's so boring. We all know what this is. Just that's not a scene in your movie. Just be like, then it went viral jump ahead and this one is is we even more guilty than most of them i feel like yeah you touch on something interesting like the, the, the some of the most fascinating stuff like how soulless is a lot of true crime how much do, does it exploit people if you got these uh these documentary and reality producers to fall on their sword a little bit more or really just expose wow um we've had an ill effect on society or just explore um, the manipulation or exploitation of some of the people they work with. That's fascinating stuff. Right. But the yeah. heart of the heart of the matter, they 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 tiptoe around it and you don't get a satisfying uh, denouement when it comes to any of that stuff. This movie is coming in from the perspective, the exact same perspective as the local news doofus who first interviewed Kai and is still so proud of himself. Yeah. It's like the same. They're coming in with like, whoa, viral content. This is so exciting to be close to something that went viral. And it's like, no, no, no. That's not, that's not the interesting, that's not what's worth talking about with this story. Tons of shit, tons of shit goes viral. Who cares? It's fucking disposable. They, a thing goes viral and then the next day it doesn't matter. That's not what, like, there are people involved in this. Like, that's what's gonna be the story, not virality. People died, people went to jail, people were injured, but th just look at the title. But no, this movie's about virality. Like, oh, is it exciting to go viral? And it's like, not really, man. Well, because that was the that was the meme. That's what yeah. we called him on the internet when we didn't know his name yet. It's really salacious, uh, and yeah, not quite enough it there. It sucks, there. folks. It sucks. Um, I liked it slightly more than Lawn, but uh, not much, not much. Uh, the Hatchet Wielding Hitchhiker is available on Netflix. Finally, uh, a finally uh, our 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 last bit of Netflix fare. Lon and I both peered into the Kaleidoscope. Kaleidoscope, um, the new somewhat gimmicky series from oh, Netflix. Oh, super gimmicky. You can say it. <laughs> um, it's really gimmicky. Uh, Giancarlo Esposito and a cast of... <laughs> <laughs> Name one more person. How? 
Without looking, name one more. Oh, Come on, there's two other. Jai there Corbin. are at least two Jai other Courtney. people. There you go. Okay, you got Jack Courtney. Okay. Yes. Paz uh, Vega. It's great Spanish actors, Paz Vega. Yes. Uh, Sex and Lucia. A number of other classic films. Uh, she is also one of the primary stars. Giancarlo Esposito puts together a heist crew, and baby, it is on. So the conceit of this series is that you can watch it in any order. There are a lot of different orders. I don't know about you, Lon. Every episode is titled with a color, not a number. Yes. So like, this is green, this is blue. And you have to watch white is, is goes last. Last. As, as, as in, uh, as in humanity, white's most important. And so that has to go last. Lon, I told you not to bring the your uh, white supremacist point of views uh, to I the mean, podcast is, anymore. It, it's a white supremacist streaming review show, right? I mean, I thought I thought we had agreed to make that explicit. No, I, I didn't want to do that. Like after, oh, con- after, okay. Well, that no, I see. I'm. I think we should avoid that because we are both Jewish, and so that would just be. I think that's kind of ridiculous. It was your idea to begin with. I thought. You know, I, I thought it like uh, it might give us like a powerful base. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah, like yeah, like well, white power. You wanted to coast on that white power, yeah. <laughs> anyway, I'm sorry, uh, I didn't mean no white. The the heist episode is named <laughs> white, and you have to watch that last. But the other Netflix determines your view order just like it would normally. But it's it, it's theoretically random. But here's the thing, Hal. Yes. I don't it's really not as random as they want to make it sound. Now, the okay. the episode episodes are actually arranged. So there's seven colored episodes that you can watch in any order and then episode 8, the heist, that comes last. That's the series finale. That's in the 8th position. Mm-hmm. But the colors are actually grouped in in collections. It's not just seven random episodes. So you do watch them in some kind of order, I believe. This is all me. I read a few people who had their various theories. I've talked to other people who watched it. I don't mean to say this is definitive, folks. This is my theory. Mm-hmm. But I think Netflix randomizes the first episode you start with. I started with green. Mm-hmm. But once that's set, once it determines your first episode, then you're on a track. And there are fewer than the mathematical number of tracks there would be if it was seven random episodes. In fact, the episodes are in groups. So green and yellow go together, mm-hmm. blue, violet, and orange go together, and then red and pink go together. So if you watch green first, you're definitely getting yellow second. There's no chance you're going to go from like green to red. I don't think. See, I had a different experience. I I looked up because I don't I I, I just want to get it right. I I don't want to fuck around here. So I just googled best order to watch Kaleidoscope. Oh my god! You screwed you you put your thumb on the scale. Yes, I did. Oh my god! So but you know what? The- I think I would have come to the exact same conclusion because. The episodes start to run together. Uh, the show, the actual heist show, we're not talking about fucking heat level heist here. It's so no, convoluted. It's, it, well, uh, and it, it, it is. It's convoluted, but without being intricate. It's it's yeah. it's one of those shows where the layers that they're adding are not complications to the heist. They're betrayals. So like yeah. you back up one level and you're like, 
oh, we thought that that person was on that person's side, but she's, or they're really talking to the feds. And then you back up one level and like, oh, I thought that person was working with that person, but they're actually more aligned with that person and they're planning to screw that person over. And like, okay, like fair enough, but that's not really what you think of when you think of an intricately complex heist. That's just movie thriller betrayal upon betrayal. Like those Pirates of the Caribbean movies where it becomes like, oh, I'm going to parlay your parlay. And then this is, we're going to, the two of us are going to steal yeah, the and, map from this guy. And it's just like, okay, well now it's just chaos. And the motivations of the characters, like it has so many mouths to feed that you get like, you know, just a, a, a scant, uh, look at one character's motivation and it's all ersatz emotion and crocodile tears from these characters. And it's like, you're not really rooting for anyone. It's hard to really care, but uh, it's, it's moderately interesting because you want to see how it comes together. But I would absolutely say the form is, uh, is more than the, uh, than the parts. I think it's, it's suffering from that. Like there's so many heisty, fun, heisty ensemble, thriller, crime things at this point that you really need to do something unique to stand out. And this doesn't, this just feels like, a little bit of oceans, a little bit of like Logan Lucky, maybe, you know, like like uh, it sneakers. It's definitely owes a great deal of debt to sneakers, uh, and even shouts out. There's a storefront uh, that reads C Tech Computing, which is a sneakers reference. How C Tech Astronomy. Oh. Being the, uh, the covert oh, name. There's a little bit of Lupin in there. Right. It's like cherry picking beats and stuff from a lot of other heist things. And like, again, fair enough. It's very good, like backgroundy comfort food. Keep something on while you're working on other yes. stuff or browsing your phone. I don't think this is like appointment TV viewing. No. Giancarlo Esposito, he's always watchable. Yeah, he's, he's, he's good. There are a few decent set pieces uh, where with like, you know, a prison escape and a couple of different things. Um, but overall, here's what you need to know. Watch White last. And then you can watch it in any order. Yeah, that's it. More or less. I got to give them a little bit of credit because it's a fun experiment to do something like this. I admire the series for that, but the execution is just okay television from where I'm sitting. Yeah. Kaleidoscope, it's on Netflix. And if you want, you can Google the best order to watch it in. That's what no, I did. No, let Netflix make the decision for you and randomize it the way they want. Lon, those are all the things that we watched. We've talked about them, all five of them. That was it. Folks, uh, hoot hoot, Owl Nation, where my hooligans at? Starburns Audio, thank you for having us. Travis Reeves, thank you for producing us. Jason K, thanks for the opening music. Lon, care to uh, tell the folks where to find you? Eh, Twitter, at L-O-N-S. I guess it's not going away. I guess, I, I guess all that was overblown. Maybe it'll break a little bit, but it, it doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. So continue to find me on Twitter, at L-O-N-S. That's the best place to do it. And you can subscribe to Inside Streaming if you want to hear streaming TV news, inside.com slash streaming. That's where to go to do that. Oh, yeah. I, I co-signed that when Lon uh, was uh, I did a few episodes without Lon, but I went to inside streaming so I could sounded like I so I could sound like I knew what I was talking about when I was uh, providing some yeah. streaming news. It's some good stuff. Find me at Hal Rudnick on Twitter and Instagram. And if you are on Twitch at all, uh, check me out there. 
twitch.tv slash Hal Rudnick. Until next time, uh, we will see you on the couch for some more streaming. It's not a thing we say. Yeah, that's I, I was just workshopping. Bye-bye. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch boys, bitch boys. Bitch in the fuck out of shit.